Hey, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to you, depending on when you're watching this edition of Hypnosis Week Live. Yes, it's me again, Alex Williams Smith by birth, but better known to many of you as the British bad boy of hypnosis, Jonathan Royal. And I am absolutely delighted to have a living legend of the hypnotherapy world join us on the show this week. This lady is the author of numerous best-selling books. Uh, she um, certainly in the 90s was what would then certainly in England, but other places in the world as well, uh, was considered a celebrity hypnotherapist. And the reason I'm doing that is because so many people ban that term around now. But then it was a massive deal. It meant a lot more than it does now. And um, she also arguably coined the phrase stop smoking in one hour in terms of smoking cessation hypnotherapy sessions. And that lady who you can see on screen and we're welcoming now is the one and only Valerie Austin. Well, welcome to the show, Valerie. Hello, Jonathan. As I said, long time no see. I've been in it years. <laughs> yeah, I'm a flipping heck, I know. So for the people who don't know, because there might be some people watching this who've only just got into the industry and, and obviously don't know that you've, you've been around for decades. Um, what what was your journey that led you in into all this? Because obviously there was a time when you weren't a hypnotherapist and a renowned trainer of the arts. Yes, I came in it to later in life because I was a journalist. I was an undercover journalist. I had my own magazines in London. And um, I suddenly got a bit fed up with, oh, this is a joke. This was in the 80s, the late 80s. And I was around the journalists and I just got fed up of them starting to lie. <laughs> the integrity was then and that was nothing to do with what it is today. It's today it's a joke but mm -hmm. there were some marvellous journalists there, you know, integrity and everything and it started to move and that's why I looked at hypnotherapy. I had been to Gil Boyne's um, 10 years before and he'd helped me with a memory loss and okay. so I came back. Can you, for people at home who obviously don't know your background, um, why did you need help with memory loss? I know, but obviously the viewers and listeners don't know your background. Uh, I had a, a car accident in 1978 and I lost my memory from for about a year and a half for like 24 hours. I could only remember 24 hours. Right. And uh, I... Guild, I, I could always, I was always good with press, and so I, I sold my story, and it said uh, I'd been asked to be married in Hollywood, and it was will bride remember her husband, and it was only put out there to see if I could find somebody that would help with my memory, and it was Gil Boyne from America, then a celebrity hypnotherapist, very famous, that was passing through England, saw my article, or the article, it was in the, I think it was in the, yeah, it was in the Mirror and contacted my mother and I was at the film festival in Cannes with a memory loss and I forgot he'd, he'd suggested I could go over to America and get treatment from him free. Right. He knew it, I had very good, I was being asked to be married by a top, you know, international editor of the Hollywood Reporter, it's a bit like royalty in Hollywood. And so um, he knew that I was a very good PR person, you know, just to use me as a memory loss. And the, hypnotherapists can't find people with proper memory losses. They're either, there's so few, but the ones that there usually get hospitalized. And um, so, you know, it's very, or go to psychiatrists or something. So it was a, an enigma. And I get, I got very famous because that, because Gilboyne did bring me to his courses, did help me with my memory, brought it a lot better than it was. It's about two weeks and so to be four hours. And uh, so, and then every, I, I would go to California every year and I would do pre present because he told me where I should train. I trained in England. I had ABC was um, a training course then, it may be still going and it was excellent. And I had a very good background and I just was good at it. It was just, I suppose I was good at selling and I'd been top sales person and I, being in Hollywood, all that sort of come together, having my magazines, being uh, journalists all came together and I was able to develop my own technique, which has been going for about 30 years. 
It's interesting that you say you kind of you talk to it like a duck to water, it sounds like. Now, I think the logic behind that is that a journalist um, has to have the skills of telling a good story. And I'm and I mean, even an ethical journalist. I know you mentioned before things now they've got into just Pinocchio storytelling, but you've got to be able to tell the facts in an interesting way as an ethical journalist which is weaving your words and capturing the imagination, which, of course, is one of the core skills of a hypnotherapist as well. Absolutely. And my husband has been uh, doing, you know, studying hypnosis since he was a boy. And uh, he's a a writer and um, does biographies on people like uh, Rasputin and Hitler. And uh, so he taught me how to, which I, I wasn't, I was like normal people doing research, but he taught me how to research properly. And so that helped, but he believed because of my memory loss, I was working on my subconscious, that's how I lived. And so I was able to talk in regression because my skill was regression. I was able to pick up and talk and know how uh, subconsciousness worked. So my, uh, my, um, I was talking to the subconscious differently to the average person. Or him therapist yeah. and that's trained and an idiot proof way to do it for, for for people at home valerie's husband please make sure i get this right because i know you've been married in the past he's james pool that's correct yes um you may have heard of it if you put james pool in the internet but with the word mesmerism because he does do courses and stuff regarding some will call it non-verbal hypnosis, but James will probably argue that it's not hypnosis, it's different. But that's a completely different discussion. Although I am going to ask Valerie, this is an awkward one for you, Valerie, given that you're married to the man himself. Uh, in that context, do, how do you perceive mesmerism? Because I, I, I personally, you know, people see it as being the forerunner to hypnosis. Some people say it is hypnosis, but it's non-verbal. Um, ultimately, I believe it's all suggestion, full stop. But what's your views? It's difficult to say because it is different, but it is where the forerunners. So it's where hypnotherapy was born. Um, but it's different. It's the first energy um, therapy. And so you can actually, when I went on James's course as an observer because I I do, uh, you probably know, hypnosis, just hypnosis, and, you know, I don't add anything to it. Uh, and I saw mesmerism as a separate or can be a tool. And I was excited because it takes, it can take quite a long time to learn it. You don't, just don't learn it. It's, it's difficult to explain. But when, when the penny drops, you can do quite extraordinary things like, um, you, it's hard to explain. I had um, something wrong with my finger. I had a cactus in my finger. For years, it was coming up every year and I couldn't get understand it. With the mesmerism, what happened is we saw it come out. It was nonverbal and it was just passes. You have to excuse me. I'm going to cough. I don't have a problem. But... All right, Norris. <coughs> Sorry. And um, probably because I haven't had a drink this morning, <laughs> I've been too busy. And so anyway, so um, it was exciting. We could actually see it come out and there was quite a few of us. And that's what made me realize that there was what, how it was so good in the old days when it was out because it was massive. Uh, you know, people, it, was, it went all around the world. It was a very interesting uh, subject. Now, it's more of, I think it's the theatrical use of non-verbal non suggestion on the one level. But on the other, I, I genuinely believe that it's not that different from what you do or I do or other hypnotherapists do. It just looks different because of the lack of words. But I think the thing that ties what we do now, so-called authoritarian or even if it's Ericksonian style, hypnotherapy and mesmerism together is intent and the belief you yeah. have as the therapist to project that in an energetic i'm going to use the word even though i don't like getting into those areas uh, in an en your intent creates an energy arguably that people can pick up on non-verbally 
Absolutely. Yeah, you are correct in in what in the big sense. But what I did find when we were doing the course, when I was in one of the courses, um, we had a lady come in and to to learn, and she misinterpreted. So she ended up doing the hypnotic, the hypnosis, and it didn't work the same. It works, it's hard to explain, it works differently, it's terribly, terribly powerful, but it's not everybody can do it. Um, some people can do it okay, but out of the courses, we we had two excellent ones, you know, that, that were the top, but the others were just mediocre. It, it's something, I suppose it's because you, you need something just a little bit more, you know, than just hypnosis. You have to uh, learn, teach yourself to use your uh, psychic uh, because you haven't got the words. You can use words, but you haven't got the words. And you can do it, um, and you can with hypnosis, you can do um, transport uh, thoughts to somebody else, telepathy, but it seems to be a bit stronger with uh, mesmerism. It's a, a wonderful tool for people if they're a hypnotherapist. It's lovely. To, it, it's a real good to know all about the history and how it works and everything. Well, I'll pop I'll pop James's web link below this. Obviously, I'm putting your your links are below for people who are at home. You can literally look under the video, but I'll pop James's link to the mesmerism uh, info as well. Um, I find it interesting because it's on the one level I could argue that they're very much the same. It's just a different presentation or a different state of mind or a different set of preconceived expectations from the client. So if they expect you know, the hypnotist with the swinging watch or sleep, the deeper you go, the better you feel, and they're provided with that, then they're more likely to react. But if people expect it to be all mystical and the downward soothing passes, that maybe some people are more of a frame of mind that that would work for them better just because of what's inside their head already. It does help, yes. Uh, but as I say, I think you have to train your psychic to actually um, have more power to go across. And that is that takes training. Um, but, you know, it, it's similar. It's a little bit like having a bungalow and you are, will have one floor and you have different rooms, but it's a bungalow. But the kitchen is different from the dining room. And yet it's in the same place. And so it's yeah. a bit similar in that way. So let's push mesmerism aside a second that was kind of what morphed into what most people generally accept as being hypnotherapy and I'm going to push out the way for people at home sorry you may not like it but I'm I'm not going to mention uh, Erickson type hypnosis this permissive uh, conversational I'm going to call it nonsense generally because personally I think the key to hypnosis is the authoritarian approach, which ultimately is certainly what's involved, as I understand it, in your smoking cessation. Stop smoking yeah. in the hour. Yes, you are right, because I've always taught and always believed um, that the authoritarian is really, to start with, if you look the part, if you look the part to be authoritarian and it can be in different ways i i taught it to be behind a desk in a very you know office looking nice beautiful office looking and and looking important so you look like the teacher mm -hmm. and so that's the way i presented myself there's many different ways of doing it but i found that was a good way and it used to i used to like to um do business people and ceos of companies and owners of banks and things like that so it had to look the part and your prices depend on what you're doing where you're doing it and what is your situation like the same therapy can be done cheaper mediocre or very expensive and depending on where you're doing it how much it's costing you to get to where you are how much your offices are and things like this everything is dependable on it but generally hypnosis is i believe the royal jelly of any therapy you know because it's it's been it's it's been um, medically uh, examples. There's many many medical research on medical hypnosis and proving 
that it works and it's it's very exciting it's exciting and still people say now even when I started in 89 now people still say what well, it's been fantastic. Why do not many more people know about it? And you probably had that. We've had that for years. Yeah. Well, drug companies, ultimately. Yes, we do. Yeah. Um, Hypnosis wouldn't make drug companies any money. Um, might sound a bit conspiracy theory, but I mean, the thing is, drug companies make the money from getting people ideally dependent on taking drugs long term, whereas a good therapists like yourself can help people for example with long-term chronic pain to manage it without the need for being drugged up to the eyeballs that's absolutely true yes it's it's a marvelous for physical and psychological because feel it, it works together so you one of the as i said earlier on you coined the phrase stop smoking in an hour you certainly got all the media coverage in the you know late 80s and into the early mid 90s on a massive massive scale stop smoking in an hour harley street hypnotherapist stops this person this person um which obviously you you had something of an advantage because with your journalism background you've already had an insight in how to uh get the media interested in covering I stuff. Story. I knew how to do a story. And what's quite fascinating is that although I knew people in the media, it wasn't easy to get through it. But it's like anything else, if you have a good story, and my first story was uh, the one about the bride, will the bride remember her husband? And that got me into um, knowing somebody in the um mirror at the time and but you still have a to have a good story and so I put together uh, developed from from other things I developed the one hour situation and I thought well the reason is I wanted to stop smoking as a journalist because I could prove it you either smoked or you didn't yeah. and it's very easy to prove unlike weight or everything else it's not easy to prove because people say oh well maybe you know whatever you did something else but with smoking it was easy to prove I put my prices high not the highest because there's another person I can't remember his name he was higher than me and um but uh, I, I was high and so I would have the story for the journalist if it worked or it didn't so they could expose me or they could say it worked and um i was surprised at the success rate i had a 95 percent success rate it was amazing and that's you know sort of i would be able to um you know verify it because um i was i was going through smokers like nobody's business you know I had so you followed up on them as well did you at intervals Yes, because what I did was the hardest thing. I went into, uh, I created a, a fairly large company in 2000, it would be, I think it was 2000, yeah. And um, it was a fair, you know, it's a, a very good company. And when I trained people, I wanted to make sure that they would get a high success rate. And I found that they could, as long as they did exactly like I did it, they could get the same amount, the same success rate. And so I then created forms so that they would, and I did them myself and get, I had a, my company look at past people, but mm -hmm. I made sure that I had the forms out, we had them professionally done, we had them so the medical board couldn't um, argue with it. It was actually so well done that it would prove each person that I trained um, their, you know, the, their smoking technique. The problem was everybody was excited, but they didn't, a lot of them didn't follow up. And I couldn't figure out why they didn't. And I think it was a confidence thing that they didn't follow up. And they all said they did, but I actually, you know, I mean, I was clever enough to find out it wasn't just like that. Um, and so, um, you know, it was very hard to prove. Some of them did. Well, you mean your therapist that you trained, you think, so you think they were a bit scared of finding out it hadn't worked as well as they'd been told because that would make them feel bad. Yeah, they believed it, but they got a bit nervous of contacting the people. And also it's not easy because with hypnosis, you've got to have a constant flow of clients. 
And so if you have to phone everybody, and it was the phoning them a month, six yeah. months and a year. Now, as you're going through, that's going to develop a lot of phone calls. And of course, it's not easy to when you you know you've got very full practice. That's not easy to do. So there was all sorts of things. But you know, I some of my top hypnotherapists that I've passed people over to, I know they can get because I check that they they do my t technique. It's all it's because my technique works for me and work. It's easy to teach. And so it's you know it's just in the seven day course I've had for many many years, and it, it's changed it with therapy because it's. I remember in the eighties, now the nineties it was. Um, you used to only have about need about fifty hours training. And then it went to 75 hours. Mm -hmm. And then I said, if we're not careful, it'll go to 250 hours before. <laughs> and I was laughed at. It was actually, they thought I was just wanting to get more people on my courses <laughs> more or something. And I was laughed at. And not long after, it became 250 hours. And then, then oh, sorts of things that you know that's uh, when it, it's a very simple operation it's you know to learn how to hypnotize and to do a technique it does need good training but if you've got good training um you know and but you do need to practice it it's no use going away for it for a few years as you mm. probably seen people do and they come back and they've lost the confidence doctors were doctors was the worst at that because they would love it when they came i didn't like to have doctors on because i'd say to them do you have an hour with your client? No. Well, hypnosis is not for you because you have to uh, not only have the hour with your client, you need to have practice weekly so that you keep your confidence, keep yourself together, you know, keep things going. And uh, because if you start to not do it, you, you lose a lot of it. You forget a lot of it and your confidence goes. That's what I felt. And um, so doctors would be so happy and everything. Then probably wouldn't see a client that they gave hypnosis for for three months, and then make a real mess of it because <laughs> practiced yeah. it. And without would... anything, without practice, <laughs> yeah. You, if you don't use it, you lose it, as they say. Now, um, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. Confidence, without a doubt, is it, it, a key. Because if you don't feel confident within, you can try and fake it, but the client, they might not consciously be aware of it, but they'll pick up you're not fully confident in what you're doing, and that's just going to make, it's not going to help you, help them. Um, so, you know, there's so many different approaches. We're going to take smoking for a little while, just because it's one one thing that you're massively well known for and did break that area of stopping one out because there were people doing it in three sessions people who were doing courses saying do it in five sessions and and then you came up it's one hour this is it uh it's very largely authoritarian the approach people can obviously go to the links below uh, to find your websites and also on amazon if you type in valerie's name you'll find her books come up and you'll get some of an insight in to the smoking cessation approach she put together but obviously to get that fully you would need to contact and, and, and do a course as it were but let's see how much she's prepared to tell us now um what made your approach so, you, you've done your research it 95 percent effective what what was different about it what bits did you add together because it's it's as you say, your approach, you book bits from here, bits from there. How did you make it different? Well, as I was saying that when I met Gil Boyne, he told me where to uh, where I should learn, uh, train, uh, because I, well, he was in America, I was in England. And then when I trained, um, I, he invited me as a trainer. And so I was training for 10 years each year in, uh, in California. And he would introduce me every time as the person that he, his success, and he'd say how great I was and things like that. And so I was quite famous in the hypnotherapy world. Now, when you're famous in the hypnotherapy world, everybody wants to treat you. So, you know, they'll say, oh, and so you're brought up into, so I had the best teachers. Gilboyne would tell me who I should train with in the, in the court, in his um, conferences. I had, he gave me the best books. People gave me the best of everything as I was going through my, as I say, journey on, in it. But early on, 
I very fortunate met some very interesting people, uh, the hypnotherapist, the old style hypnotherapist, and they one of them had a really good technique, and I, I sort of added things to it, so it became it was like there's ten things in the technique, and you. It, you it is really hard. You can't do this over and over again. I would say in a week, six is about the most you can do. That's why you charge high. But it has such a success rate. And I've always said that if, when the person comes in, you say, well, if there's any problem, you can come back for a second time. That is part of the uh, charges and therapy. Because I believe if you just say it's guaranteed and go away, they get a bit nervous and that might create a, a lack of confidence so they've always got that to come back to and I found that there was about five percent that came back that was all but you know we're talking about different times we're talking about in the 90s we're talking about it was very exciting it uh, I was had loads of publicity I had clients that were it was working on it was fantastic and um, and so I then took the stop smoking and I could open the country with it. I would go to Malaysia. I would open the country. I went and I ended up um, teaching in their, um, in their university there the whole course, um, which I actually donated. They asked me how much I wanted, but I donated because my prices were high and I didn't think it was fair, so I donated it. So I got... I was going from one famous area to the other. I was on television. I was in on newspapers. It was a marvelous. I enjoyed the 90s in the Malaysia going back and forward. But you know, I, I would, and which may be useful for other people, if you have put yourself as a business hypnotherapist. I was dealing with. Uh, owners of banks and I know one of them that I did therapy for um, was able to go back to his bank and what he would usually do he would be it was confident fellow present one thing everybody would pick at it and then he might get that through after the course in hypnosis he went to the he went back he presented with six things got all the six things passed and earned three million and that was in the 90s on that day and so that is what's exciting about hypnosis it can change a person's complete confidence just like that and they can get back into you know a complete different role of you know of work it was very exciting so in terms of the actual session when you were doing the smoking i mean the authoritarian which you know there's a version therapy there's parts therapy there's there's a million and one approaches out there. I'll tell you what it. I'll tell you which is in it because I don't mm-hmm. like doing this. Um, first of all, you do the introduction. My introduction was was the important thing. That was what made it. I covered everything in that, and it had to be twenty minutes. So twenty minutes of the hour was introduction. If, if the people that I trained, they'd have to send me a, um, an audio of the introduction because I said if it's not twenty minutes, you've not done it right. If it's uh-huh. over twenty minutes, you're wasting time. <laughs> and so they'd have to actually learn it. So this twenty minutes would all it was doing was giving examples that's correcting every question the person could possibly ask and so and if they ask you know if they wanted to talk I said oh no we can talk about that later I'll just listen to me and I'll and, and they never have the questions later because I sorted it all out then I would put them into a progressive relaxation I'd never use a quick um, one for the stop smoking in one hour uh, because I needed um, to bombard them with lots of things so it it sort of mixed the mind up so much that the like you give up you know the subconscious mm-hmm. gives up says okay it's bad for them you know sensory um, overload and so i just did my it's a very good i've, I've used the same one i've used one in 30 years, I've only used one progressive relaxation. Don't move from it because it's got secret little obstacles that break that down so the person goes into deeper hypnosis. And then I would do uh, parts therapy because parts therapy was developed from hypnosis. So I created a little bit of my own to deal with the hypno- to deal with the smoking. And then I would um, do an aversion and I would add the aversion and then I would... Um, uh, uh, I, I would give them a television screen and see themselves somebody offering them a cigarette 
And at the end of it, um, I'd bring them out of hypnosis uh, and give them, um, I always tell them that they could come back and, as long, you know, but to do that in the uh, t- uh, 48 hours, um, don't make it longer than that, come straight back because I need to see you quickly. And I would, if they needed to come back, I would push them in so what happened because if you don't push them in when you're doing it that way, they can't, they forget and don't want to come back and think it doesn't work. And I, mm-hmm. I needed that. To, I needed a high success rate to keep my um, background, to keep my credibility. And and it was it was pressure when I went to, you know, I did stop smoking in a paradise island. That was pressure because everybody knows each other. And so if it goes wrong, and I, I was, you know, a bit ooh like that when I was starting doing it. And I'm still known in that uh, Lankawi. Uh, people still know me there. In fact, um, the Duchess of Westminster uh, heard about me there and came on one of my courses. And so, um, you know, it, I've had some superb, interesting people on them. And I'm sure you have as well, Jonathan. Excellent. Um, well, I mean, it, well, yeah, it's a subject that attracts interesting people, some in a good way and some batshit crazy <laughs> at the other end of the scale. Um, so smoking, obviously, is the thing that you, 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 you're massively known for. However, um, you've obviously dealt with all manner of other things as well as anyone who goes searching on Google and types your name in will find from press cuttings that were covered. What what particular thing would you say you enjoy dealing with most? I'm not sure. I'm just trying. I, well, I, I enjoy dealing with, um, that's why I did it. I enjoy doing it, dealing with some really good interesting brains which was in the CEOs of companies and bank managers and princes of different countries you know not Mm -hmm. here but I had some touching on royalty but that was mainly from Asia and I just loved I love working with minds I it was like a game to me doing my because I was doing I I didn't do regression at all in uh, stop smoking Uh, but I was able to separate it and I think this might be very useful for people that are doing stop smoking um, because if some sometimes a client will go in and they may go into a, a regression or may not but I would ask the subconscious if it was appropriate that they could deal with that matter at another time and it wouldn't stop them smoking perfect and it had to say yes you know it said yes or no if it was no if not if not why not but it was all generally yes and so I actually separated it from needing it to be linked to some uh, trauma and that I think was a uh, also the price I, I was always high because I didn't get any I'll give it to go people and also when things high, people assume that it must work. Otherwise, how, why the hell would somebody have the audacity to charge that amount? Yes, yeah. Um, I mean, I, well, I was going to say I won't mention. No, I won't mention names. But the certain television life coaches that I have done public relations for in uh, past years, who um, I don't know what they exactly charge right now, but I know that about three years ago they were charging two and a half thousand pounds united kingdom sterling to put that in perspective this is being recorded on the 27th of april 2020 if you're seeing this in years to come uh for a breakthrough session with them for whatever it was habits of phobias addictions didn't matter what they weren't saying it's for an hour you probably ended up with them for like three or four hours if need be but two and a half grand and that was three year three four years ago they were charging that i believe they charge more now but the thing is i believe the people who do actually book with them and pay that out are cured before they get there when they made that commitment well when you're doing mine was much higher than that when i was in you know when i at the moment I'm semi-retired and so I'm selling my courses on um, you know their online courses but I found a way that you can do it and it's 
and I'm very happy with it and proud of it. So I don't have, you won't probably see it advertised anywhere because it's usually from word of mouth. And um, I've actually done people in America, not done them, but trained them in America. Excellent, you know, just terrific, but it's a specific way. But I was, I mean, when I was having clients, I was charging 6,000 for a client, but that was about five or six uh, sessions. It was hectic for it I had to make it work because I had a reputation to keep and so and I saw the most extraordinary things um happen but you can't you know you can't do as much as the quicker hypnosis things you you know it's it's quite quite hectic going on you've got to be really hot at it and the reason I stopped doing the um uh clients and doing um, regression is because when I, I had four and I wasn't agile enough with my mind to be able to do as good as I was I was I could have done it but mm. I couldn't I didn't want to well I didn't want to spoil my reputation mm. or the person that was coming to see me um, it was with something that was happening so I'm you know sort of uh, I suffer from the four and so that was why not many people have heard of me. I didn't just go and retire. I still do uh, some, uh, you know, courses, not courses, but I, I mainly do uh, um, self-hypnosis um, lectures and things like that. Well, and uh, it was quite... Now, I'm just going to segue into that because below this video, there will be another link. And that link is for Valerie's self-hypnosis book. Now, she has two major self-hypnosis books. That I'm aware of. She might tell me there's more, but there's one that came out a lot of number of years ago, which you'll find on Amazon. And then there's a more recent, and it's a different, different book that is at the Self Hypnosis Book website link that is below this video, where I know she goes uh, it, uh, into a lot regarding uh, two people in particular, Emil Coué and uh napoleon hill yeah <laughs> time to show the book <laughs> is that the latest one the, the latest one what, the other one was the first one i did in 1992 called the same well it was just called self-hypnosis by thorson's that went on for 20 years it was a long time before you know it was that's where everybody came to from my courses this one is by hay house and I've done seven altogether, but this, the only two that's now still in publication is the first one and this one. But you can find them on Amazon or eBay if you go search and if you want to get the in-between ones as well. But the latest edition, as I said, you, you mentioned on the website, the links down there, guys and girls, uh, Napoleon Hill and Emil Coué has been very important to the whole ethos. Could you explain a little bit for people who are on Obviously, Emil Coué is the man who coined the phrase mental blocky. Day by day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. That was <laughs> in every way, in every way. See, I told you I was on a mental block, Valerie. Yeah, day by day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. That's it, Emil Coué. Napoleon Hill, of course, famously wrote um, Think and Grow Rich. That's it. And that was the biggest set. It was in, in the 1990s. Um, when the Bible was the best, you know, the biggest seller because it went everywhere, mm -hmm. um, it it had better sales than that. It was amazing. Every CEO had it. It's still amazing that Think and Grow Rich. I read it. I was so excited with it, and he did. He he made an awful lot of money. He did an awful lot of good, and he was a very clever man. And there's still there is still a society with it. So what about Emil Coué? Because he he, he he did do testing and there's papers out there that literally just by getting people to say day by day in every way I'm getting better and better or similarly structured self-affirmation, self-suggestions, self-hypnosis commands, call them what you will, that people were able to dramatically change their lives if they did this morning, noon and night. The, it, it was extraordinary. He was so famous. He had so many people come to him. And why I put him in the book, because a lot of hypnotherapists find it hard to make a, a living. And, you know, and they think that you should, 
the trouble is a lot of people think, well, you should give it away because it's, you know, it's, it's a bit more spiritual, but it isn't. It's actually a business, but you can do so much good with it. It's like a doctor is a business, mm. a, you know, but you don't think of a doctor shouldn't charge a decent amount or is, should I say a specialist, a specialty surgeon uh, charges a lot of money, you know, because they've had so much background that they've had to go through. And so that I was trying to show the hypnotherapist, there is life, there is a very good, you can have it and depending where you want to be. And if you're self-sufficient, you can give it away free. However, the trouble is some people think when it's free, it's of no use. And so that's a bit of a struggle. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's the way you tell it really. So what's your definition of self-hypnosis, Valerie? And obviously you've, ri you've written best-selling books on the subject. What would you say self-hypnosis is? Because there's so many different views and opinions on it. It's getting into the, my, I mean, I'm saying my, what I believe. Uh, in order to put somebody into hypnosis, you need to, have the confidence and the person has to have the confidence in you that's why only the stop smoking would i have in one session every other session because i did um regression i felt the person needed to feel comfortable with you so the first one was just giving the introduction and the progressive relaxation bringing them out and then they come back the second time and then I would do regression. I found if I didn't do regression and just did parts, that I may lose the client. So the, the regression to me was, um, so it was to a, a wow. And so, but it had to have them in decent hypnosis. It didn't have to be deep, but they had to, I had to have had their belief structure. The more famous you get, the better belief structure you receive. Mm -hmm. um it's it's just one of those things how you look what you um what your office is like how you present yourself um if you're in glastonbury i mean you you have a awful lot of clients that are more hippie looking and yeah. that's that's fine um but you you know the charges do relate to it um what i was showing is a business model i was a business model and i was going to make i was going to get fixed i was going to fix them and so the money made me work at 100 percent because i had to to make sure that they changed so i had enjoyment out of working with the subconscious because it was a bit like a game the subconscious will be battling with me and i will be uh, having to change that mind of the subconscious to let the person know that it's going to be better for them than the problem that they were stuck with. And so, and it was just amazing to see um, so many successes. And I'm sure a lot of hypnotherapists feel that it's just a, a, a marvelous, as long as they don't, they charge too cheap, then they have too many clients and then they wear out. And so, you know, you've got to balance it. And it depends on where you want to go. I, I miss jacuzzi. I like going to five-star hotels. I like traveling. I, I think I must have been very wealthy in my past life. Because <laughs> I think, why I have that, you know? And so I like to mix with, you know, to people that have that. And um, people might think it's not. How not important was that element of it, Valerie, in terms of getting clients? Because a lot of therapists, they can be incredibly skilled in terms of therapeutic techniques, but sadly, the majority of courses out there these days, um, I know you do cover marketing and getting work, but a, a lot of courses out there, uh, the, the, the element of marketing is practically non-existent. Um, so a lot of therapists, the they might be equipped, but when it gets to when it comes to actually getting clients, they've not been shown how to market. Did you do a lot of what I suppose it would be called net these days? They would call it networking, because right? you know to attract your high-profile clients, your business people, your celebrities. My experience is you need to kind of move in those circles, go and drink where those people drink, go and eat where those people eat. 
Yes, you need to go in those circles. And I would, in those days, I was quite young, and so I'd sometimes go to the nightclubs or fun clubs, and I'd wear my suit. <laughs> you know, we'd get clients in the clubs. You know, I think it was a smart suit, black suit, yeah. you know, with white blouse or something. Like in London, it's like you're coming from work anyway. Mm-hmm. And so I don't mean the dance discotheques, but the, the clubs that are rather nice. And um, so I would be constantly um, talking to people and, uh, you know, for clients. And But I was interested. They'd tell me something wrong with them, and I'd say, I could do that. <laughs> in my head you know and so it was hard not to talk to people about clients uh, about being a client because you could actually felt like you could fix them yeah. uh, which I did which I, I was good but I, I wish I could be the same as I was then but I'm just enjoying being good <laughs> hey nothing wrong with that Valerie and, and, and never forget you know you, you may be winding things down a bit but you've got so many people out there that you've taught around the world that are still going out there and doing what you've taught them so you are still helping and I was in um I was brought up in hotels so it wasn't that I was a snob it's in Blackpool in Blackpool yes and so um if you know we we got up to a hotel where we had a chef and it was going up and up into a chef and a ballroom but if the if the uh, staff didn't turn up you'd have to clean the toilets if the chef got drunk you had to cook the the breakfast (laughs) so I wasn't a snob it was just that I enjoyed the nicer things of life and so I could work you know I mean I found taxi drivers to be as elegant to be as clever and as everybody's intelligent it just is what I mean the main people are intelligent it's just how they use their intelligence so it could be a taxi driver or a head of a company it's just how they've used and where they've been pointed their intelligence to now that's interesting because as you said, everyone's got intelligence to a degree. It depends, and you, as you just said, it depends how they use it or what their environment structures them to. What they're... How do you find? Because some, I suppose this applies to self-hypnosis as much as it does to treating clients one-to-one. You can get clients and you can say to them, okay, imagining your mind's eye, the television screen, see an image of you in the future and whatever. And some people afterwards might say, well, when you said that to me, I just I thought it, but I didn't see anything. Others say they see it in like glorious technicolor. What I'm getting at is how do you personally deal with the fact that people do psychologically react to things differently? That was in the introduction. I covered it in the intertractual. Oh, right. Okay, in the pre-talk. The pre-talk. And it was very simple because I'm, you know, I want to help people. So I'm giving out my little bits of uh, things that I found very useful. In fact, wouldn't do a client without it. I'd say there's uh, half, I think, yeah, I'd say uh, two thirds of the world are visual and the other third aren't. And so uh, you may be one of the other. So let me do a test on you. And I'd say... You can do it now. Close your eyes. Mm-hmm. And I want you to think of a chair. And I want you to think of, just have a look what it's made of and what um, what type of chair it is. Now open your eyes. Now, did you see it or just know what it looked like? It was a bit of both, that, but it, it, it was like I was seeing it, but it was a bit, I could have done when we turned the light on in the room. Right. Now, you are in between. Some people are really visual. Some people like myself are not visual. So that's why I keyed on to that. So I would say, well, it doesn't matter. In hypnosis, it doesn't matter how you see things. When I say to see something, you just do it like the chair. So I don't need to change my language anymore. Tell me when you see it, I can say. And so I don't need to change the language. And then I'll say, and it's not, it's just like that. It's not like Technicolor or, but it's like that when you're going to, when you're going to hypnosis. And that just takes seconds. Essentially, whatever they say, it's clearly right for them. That's how they experience it. And you just tell them that that's how it's going to be. And that's fine. Because from your experience, that'll work perfectly for them. 
Yeah, I, I would add to to it by saying, well, it's great if if they were visual. Say they're not visual. I say it's great to be visual, but I'm non-visual. I don't I don't see things. I just know what they look like. But it doesn't matter in hypnosis. It works anyway. In the story. Yeah, you've overcome you've overcome a potential negative self-suggestion of all oh, this isn't working the way it should do because you've dealt with it in advance yes absolutely and also when i um, put somebody into hypnosis especially in the stop smoking um i give them it's their it's their problem if they don't go in and they're not listening to me <laughs> I use the words I'm saying, um, you know, when you're ready to go into hypnosis and I'll say when people are doing self-hypnosis, like from my book, I'll say it is your responsibility to listen to the tapes, to put yourself in hypnosis. If your mind, uh, you know, goes away from your shopping list, bring it back and eventually you will get good deep hypnosis. Simple. See, I think there's a key, a key, little key element there of it's your responsibility. Yeah. And it, it, I, I, I always say that, I, I mean, I blatantly say on my website, it, there is a, on the therapy page, it says, before you book a session with me, be aware that you, the client, are going to do most of the work. And uh, I actually blatantly say I never stopped anyone smoking in my life. I've never helped anyone lose weight. The way I put it is that I give them the inner resources and correct state of mind to be able to carry on doing in an easy, automatic manner that that they decide to do when they come to the consulting room. So they're the one who puts the cigarette out and says, I've stopped smoking. They're the one who has to say, no, I'm not going to have the extra slice of cake. All I'm going to do is give them the tools to make that easier for them to do. So I'm blatantly saying it's down to you. Yes, and it is. It's absolutely correct. It's down to you. But what I did find that you might find interesting because, and a lot of hypnotherapists, is, I stopped tra- actually doing my seven-day courses training about four years ago, maybe five. And I stopped because uh, it was a, it's very difficult to learn. You have to do it. I did it in seven days and the evening, you know, it was compact. And um, it didn't seem like it was hard, but it was so full of information. And I found that to, 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 they had to do the induction exactly as it was, not the long one, but the um, Elman, I used Elman, sort of Elman. It was more or less the same. And um, they, I found that every for the 30 years, everybody could uh, not everybody could learn it by the end. Usually one would not be able to learn it by the end. Um, and that's because the nerves or they didn't get on the course and stand up or whatever it was. And then I had smaller courses. And just by the uh, just near that that five year mark, I found not one of them could learn that because it's a bit complicated, but it's only a paragraph. They couldn't learn it word for word not one in one class I had not one could learn it I thought people are losing it people are losing the focus and so therefore I stopped doing that sort of course that's what it was that's what it was it's programming people's brains to not have the attention span so with the, so it took me three to four years to perfect my online course to overcome that and overcome the need for practice one-to-one in a course. So I, I, I'm so proud of it. I believe I've done it. And so if anybody wants it, it's there. And, but I, I only see about three or four people a year. I mean, train uh, because mm-hmm. I, I like to, you know, spend a lot of time with them on the you know, sort of on the Skype or the Zoom. But there's plenty of good courses out there. There's plenty of, there's a lot more bad ones, I think, because I was on uh, one of the hypnotherapist, um, you know, sort of uh, science. And the questions they were asking, I couldn't believe it. They were so I know, Valerie. I I don't know about... It's one. Of, I think it's one of two things, or perhaps a, a combination of both. I think there's the element of there's sadly a lot of courses out there being run by people who ah, what would I call them? They don't know any better. 
because they've done a course, then the person who taught them charged them for the master practitioner course. It's like the NLP cult. And then they do a trainer trainer's course and they're going out there running their own courses when they've never really seen clients in the real world like you and me have. So that it's the blind leading the blind. Yeah. That's one element. But then I think there's also the element of people, sick mind fraud. Sigmund Freud said that there a lot of therapists are drawn to it, searching for answers to their own problems. Yes. And that want that need to feel special and wanted and needed and appreciated, cared for, cherished. And um, that by going on to these social media groups and going, well, I've got a client coming tomorrow for this problem. How can I deal with it? They don't realise they're making themselves look daft because if they'd learned properly, if they'd been taught properly, they would have a toolkit that they'd be able to use for anything and everything that's absolutely right but they want the attention of the group speaking to them i think sometimes some questions are are really frightening i mean they're Mm. so thick (laughs) yeah i know prime example it's only a couple of days ago i saw somebody on one of the groups i was having a, a look in on and they asked the question i've got somebody coming tomorrow I'm thinking, well, why are you asking this at six o'clock at night the day before? Coming tomorrow, who um, suffers from heart conditions, uh, has breathing difficult, and, and listed all these medical issues. Do you think I should um, tell him to come at another time and make contact with his doctor first? Right. <laughs> The fact it's even crossed your mind that you should need to ask that should give you the answer. Yeah. You've just listed that this person could effectively just, if you breathe wrong, could fall dead in your chair. It might be a good idea to, yeah, liaise with the person's doctor first and make sure there's somebody in the room with them at the same time to witness you haven't done anything you shouldn't have done type of thing. Absolutely. I had a form and they had to tick the form. And at the end was suicide. Right. <laughs> I took that. I was, I'm afraid I, you know, I'll need to have your psychiatrist or psychiatrist um, note first because if anybody then committed suicide, even though you hadn't, they'd just come to your room and you just did give them an introduction and they committed suicide afterwards, guess who they would come to wondering what you've done because you're a hypnotherapist? Well, and certainly the media would at the very least, even though there'd be no foundation in it i mean that did happen to stage hypnotist in the early 90s a lady died after about five hours after a stage hypnosis show now years later it was proven that she uh, choked on her own vomit and was overcome with alcohol and uh, she'd had a fit and all manner of things basically they categorically said it had nothing to do with hypnosis but for a few years all the media were saying, woman dies after hypnosis show. And it was awful. It was awful for hypnotherapists. A lot of people went under with that because they just couldn't get the clients. Mm. And, um, you know, I mean, and there was one, um, oh, it was a famous one before that. And he was not even a hypnotherapist. And he, it was to do with he taped people and he's supposed to have been doing something naughty. But it was his... It came out that his, on the advert, it was uh, hypnotist extraordinaire, come after dark, free, or something ridiculous like that. Right. <laughs> and, and, they, and they said he had all these tapes, he had one. And I found out, being a journalist, that um, one of the journalists got paid for the big story that went all around the world. Yeah. destroyed everybody you know and so but fortunately we've been we've been fine for so many years and so you know yeah. people are too busy Fingers uh, crossed. Yeah. but as i always say to my students these days for what it costs to buy a little webcam which is what 10 15 quid you can get them as cheap as record every session i say tell the clients in advance advertise the fact so you've got informed consent they know they're being filmed and ensure that you back that up onto external hard drives that are kept under lock and key to keep with GDPR and data protection laws and regulations. 
But if you set it recording before the person walks into your consulting room and don't turn it off till they've left, so if need be a forensic video expert can confirm there's been no editing, you can never get accused of doing anything inappropriate to your clients. You cannot be accused of saying something that could be dangerous because it will show exactly what you said and what you did. Absolutely. I was uh, suggesting this years ago because especially men, men are very, you know, it's it's difficult for uh, men. So that is, you know, really, really excellent information. And would you, did you uh, encourage people, it's not so much of an issue with a, a, a lady therapist having a lady client uh, or a male client but do would you advocate telling people to bring somebody with them in certain circumstances no no because they that that person will not well if it was uh you see i was doing re, uh, regression so that's a whole different view you know yeah. it's different but i wouldn't want them in even to stop smoking because they're doing the parts therapy and the parts therapy can be a little bit revealing but they won't reveal it if there's someone there Mm-hmm. And so the answer would be no. What about children? Children is, a, a, it, like when I was doing it, there wasn't a problem. But now it's all sorts of problems. And so you it, it depends on the age. I mean, I, I there wasn't a problem when I was doing it. I do a little boy for wetting his pants and he was probably about seven. Um, and I'd done a course on children uh, with um, technique, oh, I can't think of his name, he was brilliant at it. And um, so, but nowadays, I don't know, I, 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 I think I'd be very careful. You know, you'd, I think if you're going to do children, you specialise in it and, and then you check all the uh, angles that you can come in problems with it as dealing with children. And um, you would probably bring the parent in rather than when we didn't, but you probably bring them in now because of various things so, safeguarding as they call it in england yeah it would be difficult mm. and oh and um you know now you're not allowed to say um so many words so many things and so um you know the hypnotherapist that would be able to have uh, a license to speak normal is now especially if they're being recorded before it didn't really matter but now of course You've got to be careful, uh, political correct. You know, the, we've got, we're, our hands are tied behind our backs a lot of the time because we've got to watch for that, you know. Yeah, otherwise somebody could claim it's got nothing to do with hypnosis, the reason why they got upset, but they could claim they got upset because of something we said, uh, because of all the new, as you say, political correctness. And I can't give them. an example. Uh, because it's politically incorrect. What <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, well, I, I think I think people can work out what we mean, and I think the best way around that is obviously to through your if you have one pre-session questionnaire or your pre-talk when, when you're talking to the client. Get to, as they would say in NLP. Um, calibrate the client, see how they talk, how they term things, pay attention to that and talk in their terms so that that way you can't. That's good, but you never know how they think. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's true, yeah. Always err on the side of caution, yes. Indeed, oh, wow, we've gone just over the hour, so I'm going to have to bring this to a close in a minute. So I'm going to ask you the question I ask everybody at the end thank you so much for your time everyone watching or listening whether you're watching on youtube vimeo or listening on the podcast there will be links in the description below this video or audio to all of valerie's books websites and courses um as i always say get a notepad and pen the hours flown by so quickly and you might think that we've not discussed that much but as i always say if you get a pad and pen and watch or listen again there have been nuggets of gold and gems of diamonds to be mined out of the past hour that truly can help you be more successful both in your therapeutic techniques your confidence levels and your success in running your business because everything that Valerie shared with you is what she has done in the real world 
So, you know, the success she's had speaks for itself. And it can for you guys and girls as well. If you actually, they say knowledge is power, but it isn't. You've got to apply that knowledge and take action on it. So to bring things to an end, Valerie, thank you again for your time. Um, what what is your what would your top tip be to people? Because the majority of people watching this uh, are probably already involved uh, in hypnosis on some level, although there'll be a small element who are you know looking for further training who may well go to the links below and get in touch with you. What what what's your what would your top tip be to people in terms of them becoming the best therapist they can possibly become? I would say go back to the old school and read books like Watkins, going medical, things like that, and going into libraries, um, because not always you can, it may sound like you can get everything on the internet, but it's, much, it's just really nice to go to the library like I did to write my book and look at the Kuwait and the various, you know, sort of, and, and get a feel for the real hypnosis because, and, and also I would look at the age of the person that's training <laughs> because, you know, to see how much experience they have because a lot of the older, really good hypnotherapists have died off. But they died off at 90, 98. Yeah. And one thing is good about it is that if you do hypnosis, you tend to live a long time. Excellent. Um, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I always say, I, I say quite often that there's very little new, if anything, under the sun. There's only changes and variations in what's gone before. And quite often some people out there running courses can over-egg the pudding, so to speak. And if you go back to the kind of books of Valerie you just mentioned, when when hypnosis wasn't even called hypnotherapy, but I'm not talking back in mesmerism. There was a kind of mid phase where it was given names like suggestive therapeutics and those kind of books. You look at them and I swear, if you've not studied them, you'll read them and you'll go. Oh, I went on a course a couple of years ago and they claimed that was a new technique, but it's in this book from decades and decades ago. Um, so they say if you want to hide a secret put it in a book if you want to find the secrets go and find the books do as Valerie said and obviously check out the links below this video thank you all for watching and thank you very much indeed for your time Valerie it's, it's been pleasure. an absolute pleasure